Metro FM talk here on the Mighty Metro. Now, a lot of what has been happening with the uh, COVID-19 responses, uh, least of all from uh, the national effort and uh, the relief interventions, has been about how do you target your support and your relief efforts uh, for those that uh, are the most vulnerable in the first instance, but some of those who probably fall outside of the net of formal enterprises that are registered for pay-as-you-earn, UIF, uh, and even registered with uh, the uh, Companies and Intellectual Property Commission, CIPC. Uh, how do you extend support to those entities? Uh, which I must also add are very critical, uh, even to the value chains of many of those in trade and uh, wholesale and retail, uh, because uh, many of those God does. The cheese that's inside there comes from the same formal sector value chains. Now, uh, we've certainly had some of those challenges uh, when it comes to uh, uh, whether or not spaza shops can operate, whether or not they ought to, uh, and uh, whether or not, uh, I guess, um, where they were born, the operators of these entities, whether or not that matters uh, in uh, the efforts here uh, to try and uh, mitigate the impact that this is going to have on informal trade uh, in many of our townships and rural areas. Now, uh, with regard to this, the lawyers for human rights have called on government to give a written undertaking that Spaza shops owned by foreign nationals will not be targeted during the lockdown. Apparently, the owners of several Spaza shops have uh, said that they were being prevented from trading during the lockdown or harassed by police and soldiers. Now, I'm joined on the line. Uh, by uh, the spokesperson for the Africa Diaspora Forum and chair, uh, uh, sorry, spokesperson of the Africa Diaspora Forum and is also chair of the Somali Community Board, and that is Amir Sheikh, and uh, also joined by Tarisai Mugunyani uh, from the Land and Housing Program at Lawyers for Human Rights. Amir and Tarisai, good evening to the pair of you and welcome to Metro FM Talk. Good evening, good evening and thank you for, having, you for having me. Amir, l- let me maybe start off with you. Um, I guess the lawyers for human rights here, and Tarasai will come back uh, to uh, some of the uh, requests and undertakings you ex- uh, expect and anticipate from the government. But I want to start off with you, uh, Amir. Just uh, maybe paint a picture for us since the lockdown started uh, a few days ago. Uh, what uh, uh, the uh, situation has been for many of uh, the people who uh, f- form the membership of the two organizations that you are part of that are involved in informal trade and informal retail. Uh, have they been able to operate? And if so, um, uh, talk to us about how law enforcement has interacted with those operations. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me. And uh, once again, at least it is an opportunity to highlight the high hideness our members have actually faced with the law enforcement officers. But before I go to that, I would like to make it the scenario or what we experience is something that is created by the Minister of uh, Small Business Development when she selectively actually said migrants within our countries cannot actually trade during the shutdown. And only those that will be allowed actually to trade will be the South Africans owned and managed spaza shops. But unfortunately, when our members actually on the start of actually the first day of the lockdown went to CIBC, there was no such discrimination, and most of them got a certificate from CIBC that clearly indicates that they actually exempted and they can actually trade. But the unfortunate part was that the police did not want to hear that, and most of the provinces that we received complaint, of which Houghton, the Eastern and the Western Cape and KwaZulu-Natal were actually the uh, alert points, say that, you know, being a foreigner in South Africa, you are not eligible to trade, despite being a taxpayer and, you know, VAT collector, and also employing many South Africans. We have seen a lot of intimidation 
interferences, mm. harassment from the law enforcement. Our members also have actually faced uh, selective discrimination when it comes to closure of their businesses and allowing the locals actually trade near them to trade. But worse than that, we have also seen police uh, confiscating goods from these shops without any notice and also making sure that whoever receives that is actually taken to uh, the cells where many spend more than three days, that is 72 hours, without being produced in a court of law. Mm-mm-mm. And Amir, I, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure as the Diaspora Forum and even as a Somali community board, you've tried to reach out, uh, you know, to, lo- to law enforcement and even to uh, authorities, both local and national, uh, to try and get across uh, what's been happening here. What do you make of uh, the clarification that uh, Dr. Ngosazana Zamini Zuma gave a few hours ago, suggesting that spaza shops will be allowed to operate, informal uh, traders and retailers, even those who produce uh, foodstuffs, will also be allowed to operate? What do you make of that? Yeah, the political leaders can make uh, sentiments that are actually good, but the unfortunate part is that uh, those who are implementing, uh, the, whether it is the police officers, SABS, whether it is the Metropolis or the SDFs, or security personnel will not actually listen to that. They have got their own laws when it comes to the time that even those of us who are meant to operate will actually operate. And in many instances, the client that called us say that we are only allowed to trade between 5 a.m. and 9 a.m., which means that after that we will actually shut down, others are actually closing between 6 p.m. to 6 p.m., and others are not even allowed. And whoever open is saying that, you know, you are not respecting the law of the country and our sovereignty. And in that sense, actually, we have seen a lot of unnecessary arrests. But I'm very happy, actually, I am with the attorney representing us on call. Mm. Gunyani is actually the attorney representing the organization, our migrants. Though I haven't met her, at least I'm happy to be on the line with her. And all we are waiting is the undertaking from the government in the five ministries that she wrote to me, which include the cooperative governance, Trade industry, small business development, police and defense and military sure. veterans. Okay. Tarisai, let me bring you in here. Uh, mm. And I guess it's a similar question. Uh, Dr. Ngosa Zanazabini Zuma clarifying that spaza shops uh, ought to remain open. They also constitute some of the essential supplies that people will need from day to day. So uh, you are as much allowed to go to a spaza shop as you would to many of the chain, of the large chain retailers or chain stores. Uh, um, in light of that, uh, is it still necessary then to, uh, I guess, request this written undertaking uh, on your end as uh, lawyers for human rights from the government that says uh, that uh, uh, shops of foreign nationals won't be targeted because it stands to reason that uh, many foreign nationals would uh, be operating the sa- self-same spaza shops that uh, uh, the minister has suggested should remain open? You know, I, I think it's important to to not just to get clarity in terms of who can operate and how will operation be implemented. But I think it's important for um, the the council, the cluster that is in charge of this process to issue directives in terms of how implementation mm. will be rolled out. Sure. And I think this will assist in ensuring that um, FANDF, including SAPs, are able to, you know, to ensure that enforcement of the bylaws is mm. done fairly and is, is implemented without um, 
prejudice to anyone who's trading. Mm. What we're currently seeing is, and I think if you see the trend from when the national disaster was announced up until now, there have been a number of amendments to the regulations that have been issued. And like what Amir has indicated in this instance is, initially when these uh, regulations were issued out, there was no discrimination per the wording of the regulations Mm. on what type of spousal shops and are there any limitations to trade. At what point do you, in your observation, do you think the discrimination uh, crept into the situation? Um, You know, without um, pointing out fingers, but I think it's important to have our leaders speak with one voice Mm. um, and and disseminate information that is accurate. And and like Amira's pointed out, the fact that... um, a small businesses minister would issue out a statement to say uh, foreign nationals are, are not allowed to operate their spousal shops in this time was was problematic. Uh, we were appreciative of the fact that over the, the, the past days that the Minister of Justice, uh, the Minister of Cooperative Government, including the Minister of Business and Enterprise, have stepped up to correct this notion. But what you then find is is that in as much as it is clearly stated in the regulations um, and it's been clearly stated in the media by the ministers to say there is no limitation to trade, you find that implementation is problematic. Another follow-through that we're seeing now is, as of today, they've um, amended that regulation uh, 5B to state that outside of spaza shops being able to operate, they have included informal traders as well. It, it has been a call of civil society currently to say that obviously informal traders need to be included in this particular group, and we're welcoming of that. But the confusion that has now been created, if you are to look at the regulations, I, uh, is they state that there is a permit that that has to be issued, and the wording is is vague and it is unclear. Hmm. It doesn't say spaza shops uh, should. Uh, be issued with permits. Yes. It, 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 if I'm to just, you know, paraphrase it, it says that special shops, informal food traders with written permission from a municipal municipal authority um, are now allowed to operate. So, so it, it places in your suggestion, uh, Tarisai, it places mm-hmm. the obligation of acquiring that permission on the spaza shop uh, uh, owner rather than, I guess, uh, a, a much broader wording that would say it's the you know, it's municipal authorities should go and, and give those yes, licenses. Yes, so it's actually not clear whether spaza shops should obtain a permit or informal traders should obtain a permit and they put this obligation on the municipal authority. What we have seen in um, just in, in the past few days when we've been monitoring the situation is outside of the situations where you have blatant, I don't know whether we can call it xenophobia, where SAPS closes down uh, foreign-owned spaza shops. In certain instances, you have some who will say, show us your permit. Mm. If you produce a permit, someone will say, yeah, but this is a black and white copy. I want a color copy. And you've seen that there's been a media statement from um, CIPC to state that they are questioning some of the permits that are being issued to say they are not as legitimate as they should be. So this creates a lot of confusion mm. within how these regulations are yeah. to be implemented. But Tadisai, so I mean, Tadisai, yeah. to be fair, I think the CIPC uh, essential business permits uh, mm. are an entirely different, I guess, 
uh, authorization than what is being suggested here. The suggestion is that many spaza shops go and get some form of written authority from uh, the local municipalities, whereas the essential uh, business one was an uh, online portal where you could go in, type your details, and uh, have yes, one generated by the system. Yes, that's actually correct, right? You're actually correct. But what you see now on the ground is because there's just not a clear understanding of what this is, you have some... Um, police officers that are requesting this registration, Mm. which is not exactly what people are supposed to be having. The second thing then that comes in is, Mm. outside of this, our our municipalities, are they equipped to be issuing out these these permits? So we sit with 278 uh, local municipalities. Surely there needs to be a communication from you know, national government, provincial mm. to local. And this is why our call is there have to be some directives issued yeah. in terms of how this process will operate. Okay. And I think this will assist in ensuring that um, regulations yeah. are rolled out correctly. Sure. People are, are able to access essential services. Okay. And we, we, yeah. Tyrus, I think uh, the point well made then, it certainly does raise a lot of uh, pertinent questions about intergovernmental relations, relations between local authorities, provincial and even national. And Amir, I want to bring you in here just on the same issue. I mean, just talk to us about your experiences and, the, and, and that of your members in being able to acquire some of these permissions. I mean, uh, have your members been able to, to go to the municipalities, go to the ward councillors or the ward committees or whoever's empowered to issue this kind of permission? Uh, and, and have they been able to go there and receive this? No, our members actually did try, and we are very appreciative of the Department of Trade and Industry for making it very easy, actually, when they created the portal within CIBC. But unfortunately, actually, as Tony said, it's not what you have. It is actually the betrayal is your face. Whenever they see you, you are not South African, and you are of migrant origin, irrespective of whether you are a naturalized citizen, mm. whether you are a permanent resident. The first thing is that actually they will ask you, of the certificates, and once you produce, then they will have come with a lot of justification. But if you give you one case scenario in the western area, prior to the lockdown, the municipality have issued letter to spare the shop indicating that during the lockdown they will be exempted and they will not actually close because the community made them. But unfortunate, further than that, our members also went to the CIBC portal and get the essential service certificate. But unfortunate. Many shops were closed afterward, guys taken to actually the cells in Kungosdok, mm. and uh, they spent three days and only came out without even being taken to actually court. So the discrimination, you know, selective targeting is very much, but in terms of acquiring the document from whoever, mm. it has been very easy. But the unfortunate aspect is that the police, especially the corrupt, are using all these intimidation tactics in order to actually, you know, uh, get some sort of bribery from those. Whoever pays actually can continue. And I, in other scenarios, our members were forced actually, you know, to pay a sort of a false fee so that they can actually open their businesses. Mm, mm, mm. Tarisai and Amira, I want us to pause here for a second because I, I want to maybe unpack, uh, I guess, uh, some of the recourse that uh, the traders themselves could have here in instances where law enforcement uh, uh, undertakes, uh, I guess, uh, what would be called extrajudicial actions here, because uh, certainly there's no legal basis for some of the actions that have been undertaken and even the incarceration of uh, many of these traders. But I'd love to hear from you as well. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on this? And uh, uh, do you get a sense, of course, that uh, 
there has been some mixed messaging here. There has been somewhat of a broken telephone in terms of uh, not only just the communication from a top level about uh, regulations uh, on spaza shops, informal traders and retailers, but also in terms of how it's been applied on the ground uh, and uh, what I have termed as extrajudicial on the part of many law enforcement officials. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, do uh, send through those tweets on at MetroFMSA. Use the hashtag MetroFMTalk. You can also give us a ring on 089-110-3377. It is indeed 20 minutes now after 8 p.m. Uh, you tuned into Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. And uh, we're talking about uh, the experiences of uh, many foreign-owned spaza shops uh, in light of the lockdown that we are now under. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, on the backdrop of some of the clarification that was given by the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, Dr. Gosazana Zamini Zuma. And I'd love to hear from you uh, some of your own perspectives on this particular matter. Uh, just before we went to the break, uh, Amir, uh, you were speaking to, I guess, uh, you know, some of your members being incarcerated, uh, being shuttled around. I mean, just talk to me about uh, the experiences of many of the communities that your members service, because uh, I would think that some of them have had their stores shut down and many communities not having anywhere within close proximity to go and get their daily essentials. Uh, what have members of the community relate to you, uh, and how have they, I guess, responded to that? No, unlike actually in the past where we used to experience, you know, what's called afrophobia or xenophobia, and looting during such times when at least it's difficult for our members and when there are certain aspects. But this time around, the community has stood very firm with us, and I'm very getting, and it's not only one part of the country, many parts of the country, it is a community that actually said, no, we actually want these shops to operate in this time of the lockdown. I'll be very also sincere and grateful to the leadership, and especially the ward councillors in the Greater Soweto, which is Region D1 and D2, that have even given us a written indication saying that, you know, in this time, all we need actually is your shops to be operational but kindly maintain, you know, good hygiene, put sanitizers in their shops, and always look after the well-being of those, you know, disadvantaged within your community. And these messages across the country is something that at least, you know, is making us actually proud and to be also filled part of the actual rainbow nation. But unfortunate part is the reckless, irresponsible, you know, uh, sentiments, that are contradictory to one another that is coming from our national leaderships, and that is what I've worsened. But when it comes to community relations, we are very appreciative nationwide. Mm-hmm. Just as we wrap up, uh, Tadis, I want to bring you in here. Where to from here? Uh, you've uh, indicated that you expect a written undertaking uh, from the government. Uh, should you not receive that, uh, what then happens? Um, so, uh, like Amir said, we're representing the African Diaspora Forum. We're also representing... Uh, Scalabrini Center that also has a constituent of different migrants, refugees, and asylum seekers. Um, so we had initially written a letter to get clarity in terms of who can operate. Uh, we are happy to say that we've received that clarity from these amended directives that were uh, signed today. Uh, we have now written again to say we would love if they can issue directives in terms of how this um, amendment and this mm. regulation can now be implemented. And I think that if directives are issued, it becomes much easier to ensure that there is compliance and there is proper regulation in terms of how um, compliance is being mitigated across the, across the, the country. Mm. So we are waiting for them to respond to us. 
with regards to our request for directives. And should we not receive it, we are going to monitor tomorrow and over the weekend um, in terms of what response do we get from today's mm. address from from the Minister of Cooperative Governance. Um, and if, if there's nothing positive, if there's still confusion, um, then we will proceed with an urgent application next week. But we will. We we are hoping that we get a positive response, just like the response that we've received today, that they have amended the regulations and have included um, informal traders, and uh, you know they've given clarification in terms of the opening of further shops, and that there is no limitation in terms of mm. who should be the owner. Okay. So that's 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 what we're hoping okay. for. Tarisa, thank you very much uh, for your time there. And, and maybe, Amir, just a last one before before I let the pair of you go. I mean, we also saw uh, some uh, very disheartening scenes from the Central Methodist uh, Church uh, in Cape Town there. And uh, we saw uh, that, um, I mean, I don't know what, what to call it. I guess uh, the removal uh, of uh, many of those refugees and asylum seekers there uh, uh, who had been living and occupying that church. Just talk to us uh, uh, briefly there about the kind of support you are extending uh, to uh, many of those families. We saw many young people there. We've heard stories of newborns and toddlers as well uh, who are part of this uh, uh, unfolding situation, which is nothing short of disheartening. What, what then happened? I mean, uh, after the cameras left and we saw people scuttled into Golden Arrow buses, where were they being taken to? Uh, first of all, I'd like to clarify that we are not actually extending any helps to them because okay. they have refused any sort of assistance when we sent members to, de- to them. Okay. And in, in the presence of actually the Archbishop of uh, Cape Town, Tabo Makoba, and SHRC Commissioner Chris Nissen, our members were actually beaten up and uh, to a certain extent, uh, one of them even suffered you know, a serious fracture. But we, they are our members. We cannot just leave them. We have been in talk with the Ministry of Home Affairs. We discussed with the ministers on their faith. And right now, at least we are appreciated in this time of actually lockdown and in the situation they were, at least the tents where they will be taken in Belleville will at least be of assistance to them. But so they so wait, they're being, taken, they're being taken to tents yes. in Belleville? The, yes, they have been taken to a tent that was built actually by the disasters management in the Western Cape, mm. and at least that is where they will be during the lockdown. We do not know their fate after actually the lockdown and what will happen, mm. but the members were actually divided into two camps, and both of them were adamant that, you know, they did not want to hear anything, no integration, no reintegration. All mm. they wanted is to be taken actually out of the country and actually taken for resettlement, especially in Canada, yes. of which at least... The UNHCR has been very clear. They say mm. they cannot do that on a collective, but on an individual basis, and most of them are not fitting the criteria. Yeah. And and where are we in terms of plans to repatriate some of them home? I mean, I thought that, that was, uh, you know, outside of the individual cases to make a request to be resettled elsewhere. Uh, but the, in the main, for the bulk of all of those people, the decision was to repatriate them back to their home countries. Where are we with that? especially in light now of the travel bans and the restrictions on movement? Yes. No, as part of actually, you know, the UN handbook, first of all, the government, South Africa, being a signatory to the Geneva Convention mm. on Refugees and the OAU Convention, have got responsibility to work on the three durable solutions, okay. which is actually integration into the local host community. But where a member cannot integrate into host community, then repatriation, which is actually a voluntary repatriation 
with also its consideration, looking at his actual situation, the situation back at home, mm. will he be trouble and all that will be looked. But we have got a scenario where these members are not willing to integrate, they are not willing to be taken back home, but all they want is actually resettlement. Mm. And there are over 10 million actually migrants and refugees in the world who actually want to be repatriated, but it's only 1% out of that that can be actually resettled elsewhere, outside actually their second mm. home. Mm. Mm. Amir, thank you very much for your time, my brother. And as I said, a very disheartening situation there. And it seems, uh, as always, when the palace politics unfold, it's always the vulnerable members of the community uh, that find themselves uh, uh, with the shorter end of the stick. And in this case, toddlers, newborns, uh, young women, uh, young children, and it certainly does uh, 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 raise all manner of humanitarian uh, issues. Amir Sheikh is uh, the uh, spokesperson of the Africa Diaspora Forum, chair of the Somali Community Board, and he does what Markwe does as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, he was joined alongside Tarasai Mugunyani, uh, land rights and housing program at the Lawyers for Human Rights. Love to hear from you and some of your thoughts on that particular matter.